Hey everyone and welcome to the Arte Anglais podcast, the podcast where we talk about art, culture and society to help you learn English naturally. You'll hear me talk about interesting topics, English expressions and English grammar in a different way so you can learn English in context. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Arte Anglais podcast. I hope that during this time you and your family are staying well and you're finding plenty of things to do. Many people are obviously still working or working from home and the people that I'm thinking about the most are those who work in the healthcare industry. I and many other people are absolutely truly grateful for everything they are doing during this difficult time so a big thank you to you in France at eight o'clock every day we stand on the balcony and we give these people a big clap and it comes from the deepest part of our heart sincerest thank yous to those people so thank you um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. My name is Tara and I'm an Australian living in Montpellier in the south of France. So I teach English and English and art together to kids and teenagers. And I also teach just English to adults, both online and face to face. So sometimes we talk about art as our subject matter, but other times we talk about all different subjects. But the main thing for me as a teacher is I'm passionate about teaching my students in context by using interesting subjects and topics that they are interested in. So I like to adapt what we are learning to topics that they would be more interested in. So I really enjoy face-to-face -face teaching and online. However, now with everything happening in the world, my teaching is limited to teaching online with Skype and Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all of the other platforms that you can speak to people online. There's so many. I didn't know how many there were. Now, I had planned on making more podcast episodes these last few weeks, but my teaching schedule became a bit fuller. But I must say that I am enjoying the teaching online. If you want any teaching as well, you can visit my website and you can have a look at what I have available and you can send me an email if you're interested in doing any one-on-one -on -one online teaching that is available to you. And what else has been happening here at Arte Anglais? Well, a few weeks ago, I did an illustration of a family of my favorite animals, a wombat. And what it was, it was a family sitting on the couch, staying safe and staying at home. And it was to promote staying at home on the couch during confinement to keep everyone safe. And since doing that, I've teamed up with a small group of 15 kids in Australia to write a story about these wombats. So we are doing online Microsoft Teams meetings and they are writing their stories and I'm giving them feedback. So they've been learning about how to storyboard uh, a story, a picture book, and how to explain to the illustrator the type of image that they want to go with their words. So I've really enjoyed listening to them tell their stories and 
to bring my characters to life. So it's been a really interesting way of seeing how everyone has different ideas. And, and I'm telling you, some of these stories are really creative. So fascinating. So I can't wait until I get to illustrate some of these stories. It's been a really good experience for me and it's also given me the chance to do even more teaching and to teach to different parts of the world, which is really good. And also stay in touch with some kids in Australia. So I shared on Instagram a post last week or maybe a few weeks ago and it was an expression to turn over a new leaf, which means to start over or to act in a different manner or change your attitude about something. And I think this has definitely been a good time to adapt and to turn over a new leaf with being confined at home and having to adapt the ways that I teach. So I've learned some really great new skills during confinement. I've learned to adapt. I've learned different programs. I've been listening to some online conferences about different ways of teaching kids and adults. And obviously, that's all really good to learn new things, but it does come with some challenges. Having to adapt the way that you teach or you do something is sometimes challenging, but it's, it's also good to learn. And I am somebody who really likes to learn, so it's, that's a good thing. But what I have been wanting to do, which is what I'm able to do today, is this podcast because, well, I really enjoy it. And finally today, I'm happy to say that I have the time to do it. I do enjoy making this podcast because I spend a lot of time researching the topics I'm interested in. And while I'm researching, I learn a lot of things. And I also enjoy receiving your emails telling me about why you're listening to the podcast and why you're learning English. So thanks to everyone who has sent me an email. I read all of them and I respond to all of them. So if you want to tell me why you're listening to the podcast, some of the things you're interested in, then please don't hesitate to send me an email. So each episode I do with the podcast, you'll be able to find the transcript on the website at www.artyonglay.com slash podcast. And then you'll need to sign up as a free member of the site, but don't worry, it's free. Because my goal is to be able to provide English learners interested in art and culture or creativity a listening resource to listen to something that isn't just an explanation of the grammar. Obviously, that is important sometimes, but there are already so many resources for that out there on the internet. There's so many resources on YouTube, on podcasts, books lots of different things. So this podcast is purely for listening pleasure and to provide you with something interesting to listen to. So you can listen to a native speaker, see how they produce the language naturally. And I recommend that you listen to it many, many times because that's when you start to reproduce what you, what you hear. And this is something that I'm used to and something that happens to me when I listen to French podcasts. So if you've started listening to the podcast recently, you, you might notice that I started making a few lesson episodes, which are based on some TED talk videos and some articles about art and creativity that I found on the BBC. 
And I'm going to continue to make some more of these. So if you're finding them useful or interesting, please tell me. You can just send me a short email and I'll respond to you. And I'll put my email in the show description for you. I'm going to make another episode at the end of this week about another TED Talk that I found. And I'll talk to you a little bit about it at the end. But let's talk about the topic for today. Today's topic is an introduction to the art form of Japanese woodblock prints, or ukaiyoe. And it's a difficult word to pronounce for me sometimes. However, I hope today I've practiced it enough to be able to say it properly. I do have some listeners in Japan, so if I don't pronounce it correctly, please forgive me. Now, why did I choose today's topic, apart from being... A big fan of this art form. Well, a few months ago, before we were confined to our houses, I went to an exhibition in Aix-en-Provence called Hokusai, Hiroshige and Utamaro, the Great Masters of Japan. And this exhibition included 150 ukaiyoe prints and other objects that were presented to the French public for the very first time. And many years ago, I saw for the first time a Hokusai exhibition in Melbourne and ever since I fell in love with Yukaiyoe and Hokusai and a lot of the artists that produce this work. So I have a big collection of some of these books that have some of the prints in them. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about Yukaiyoe. Now there's a wealth of information about it on the internet. So I'm only going to talk a little bit about an introduction. I'm going to give you a little introduction. And if you're interested, I'll provide you with some links to find out more about the art form and some of the artists as well. So I'm going to explain a little bit about what it is, some of the artists, including a place where some of the modern day artists are keeping the tradition of Japanese woodblock prints alive. And I'm also going to discuss just briefly, why there is a lack of women artists from this time period. Now, my partner travels a lot to Japan, and obviously not now. And each time I receive a new book for my art book collection. And one of these books features the prints of Otogawa Kinyoshi. Um, and a lot of his prints are of animals and landscapes, women and mythical creatures. There are also some examples of battles with samurai heroes. And I spent a lot of time looking and studying these different color palettes with my Adobe Capture app. I've spoken a little bit about this app in previous episodes and on Instagram as well. And what I do is I use some of the images to create harmonious color palettes. Because what the app does is when you take a photo of something, it will give you five harmonious color palettes. So it's helped me to learn a little bit about color selection. And I'm going to talk a little bit about color selection later on in the episode. So where can you learn more about Japanese woodblock prints or ukaiyoe? Well, a few weeks ago, I talked about Google Arts and Culture and how good it is for you to be able to visit some of these places at a time when these places are closed. So if you want a little bit more context about what I'm talking about today, 
I suggest using Google Arts and Culture to explore a little bit more about the different art pieces or the different prints that you see. And if you go to the link in the transcript notes, and then you click on Art Movements, you'll be able to find more information and a very large gallery of the different prints from this era. Now my favourite painting is there and it's called the Kirifuri Waterfall at Mount Kurokami. And this was by Hokusai in 1831. It's a very limited colour palette and it's an image of a waterfall and it has some very flat colour prints or flat colours and also a gradient in it as well. Now what is ukaiyue? It had two different drawing styles. You have woodcut and brush. So the brush form is called nikatushiga, which means the brush. Now I may not have pronounced that correctly, but you can help me if you're Japanese and you know how to pronounce it. Anyway, in the Edo period, images made with brushes were really expensive. So the ukaiyue became more popular among the public when they started wood cutting, which was cheaper and easier to mass produce. So ukaiyue prints were printed engravings on a washi paper that were created by wooden stamps of engraved prints that were pressed onto the washi paper. Now they were vibrant in colour and, and dealt with many different subjects. For example, the Kurafiri waterfall print was created with many different woodblock prints. So I'll talk a little more about the process of the prints in a moment. The subjects are drawn boldly and clearly. So the compositions are very dynamic, but you'll notice that all of them lack any shadows. So the colours are flat and bold and sometimes a gradient in colour exists in the prints. Artists who created woodblock prints were less concerned with depth and dimensionality. So dimensionality is making it look 3D, for example. And this is why images lacked shadows. So instead, they decided to favour strong shapes, graphic designs, and very bold lines. So you see also a lot of text in some of these prints. So these stylistic features are some of the things I myself try to emphasise in my own work. So I feel that's why I'm influenced by the techniques and not necessarily the subject matter of this art form. But one difference is in my own artwork is I do include shadows. And I really like the way that the Japanese block woodblock prints use bold black lines to contrast with the, the colourful watercolour-like nature of the, the paints and the colours and the, the pigments. Now, what did the paintings and the prints represent? Well, the prints represented the popular pleasures of the Edo period. And this was characterised in Japan by a really exciting cultural life. But it was also a time in Japan's history where they rejected any foreign influence. So the images are very typical Japanese motifs and symbols. And these prints highlight all the technical and iconographic variety of Japanese art. So when I went to the exhibition, I saw many paintings of 
female subjects dressed in traditional Japanese clothes. You see daily life, landscapes, and in particular, Hokusai and other artists represented Mount Fuji. You also see theatres such as scenes from plays. You see, you see bazinga, which is images of beauties or of female beauties. And you also see quite predominantly the pleasure quarters and historical motifs. So paintings very often included entertainment such as street dancing, cherry blossom viewing, festivals, and of course, beautiful women engaged in daily life pursuits. So prints of this period also typically featured animals such as cats. There are so many cats. I saw lots of cats when I went to the exhibition and birds as well as uh, mythical creatures, samurais and also sumo wrestlers, which is obviously very typical of Japanese culture. The landscape prints were of natural scenery and very often included Mount Fuji. And these prints were considered high art or art for the rich in the 17th century. But eventually things changed. So it became cheaper and more accessible when ukaiyoe turned to woodcutting. So it became a bigger part of mass culture. So the prints were no longer restricted to the upper levels of civilization or the rich people. They eventually became part of everyday life and it started to influence in particular Japanese films and Western cartoons. So what does ukaiyoe actually mean? Well, it means pictures of the floating world. And this is the name given to paintings and prints, which primarily depict the world of the theater and the pleasure quarters of Edo. So we know that today as present day Tokyo in Japan. So the word ukaiyoe is a composite term of uki, which means floating, Yo, which means world, and e, which is pictures. So originally, ukaiyoe was a Buddhist term to express the impermanence of human life, which means it didn't last very long, or it doesn't last very long. So during the Edo period, 1615 to 1868, ukaiyoe came to refer to the pursuit of seeking of pleasures of people, which is why in a lot of the prints, you see people engaged in a lot of entertainment activities. Now in Ukaiyoe, there are a lot of materials which are used, but in my opinion, there's three very important materials. So I'm going to explain what they are. First and foremost, we have the woodblock. And this is the stamp which creates all of the prints. Now this is the most important part of the process. So the woodblock is made from the wild mountain cherry tree and it has a very hard grain and it's very durable. So this is important as the woodblocks are used for mass production. So they need to be durable and the shape needs to retain its form because imagine the amount of hours that it would take to carve the prints into the woodblock. You want this timber woodblock to be able to last so that it can produce many, many prints. The next material that's important is the paper. And the traditional paper that is used is called washi paper. So this term is used to describe paper that uses local fiber 
It's processed by hand and is made in the traditional manner. Producing washi paper or the traditional handmade washi paper was quite labor intensive. So the trees or the plants were collected and the bark was stripped and boiled in a lye solution to soften it. The traditional Japanese papers vary in texture due to differences in preparing the pulp and also applying the different sizes. So the papers, when they were used in the printing process, were typically sized to varying degrees on both sides to prevent excessive absorption of pigments and to stop the paper sticking to the wood blocks during the printing process. So modern day forms of the paper are made from 100% paper mulberry pulp and used by the Adaki Institute of Woodblock Prints. So it's a highly durable and ideal material for the Japanese traditional woodcut prints because it requires multiple layers of color in the printing process. So it needs to last. And it also brings vivid and warm colors, which is one of these charms of the tra traditional Japanese woodcut prints. So the paper works really well with the prints. Now the last important thing is the pigments and the ink, the colors that you see on the prints. So originally Japanese ukaioe prints were reproductions of black and white line drawings. So they didn't have any color. Then early in the 18th century, artists started to hand color their woodblock prints. However, the hand coloring process was so labor intensive. So printers found a better way. So they developed the Kento registration system and this allowed them to accurately align one color with another in printing. So at first, Printing using the Kento method was limited to one or two colors plus black. Complementary colors were often used to create visual interest. So for example, orange and green would be two contrasting colors that they would use or blue and red. But by the late 1700s, artists incorporated many different colors in their designs and it's relatively unknown why even though the colors were readily available for many years it took them such a long time to start using them in their prints interestingly it's impossible to know the original hue of the colors that were printed or used in the prints because now they've all faded even though they do their best to protect the prints they have still faded so mineral and botanical pigments were mainly used in addition to black, red, blue, and yellow. And they were used by the printer and the printer would create desirable colors to mix these primary colors together. Now I found several scientific articles which discuss the ambiguity of when it comes to identifying the origins of some of these different pigments. And being able to compare the true colors with the colors we see today due to the fading. So many scientific studies have looked at this topic. But what we do know, however, is that as trade with Europe opened up between 1820 and 1830, the Japanese artists gained access to more durable pigments, such as Prussian blue, which was used in Hokusai's Great Wave. 
So Prussian blue is a synthetic dye that German chemists had developed. And when this became available to artists like Hokusai, they were extremely excited by the use of non, um, non-fading pigments and much more durable pigments. So you can see that he used it a lot in some of his prints. Now the process of the Ukiyo prints is really interesting, so I want to share that with you. As I said, they often made both prints and paintings, and some artists specialised in one or the other. But I'm just going to explain a little bit about the print process, as the print process involves more people than just the artists. So the Japanese tradition of woodcut prints is a very collaborative art form between the artist the carver, the printer, and then finally the publisher who acts as the producer. So firstly, the artist or designer, so somebody like Hokusai, draws the image onto washi paper, a very thin yet durable type of paper, which is what we just talked about. The washi paper is then passed onto the carver, and then it would be glued to a block of wood and using the drawing's outlines as a guide. So the outline is then carved with a small knife and then the surrounding wood is removed with a little chisel and the key block is finished. So the key block is the main image. It's the main print that the printer will follow for each of the following colours. Carving the wood block requires absolute extreme precision. So the workspace needs to be bright. So it's a very interesting process to make sure that the workspace is bright. I've put an image of this process into the show notes because it's really interesting to see how this works. So what happens is there's a glass flask which is full of water and it hangs between the wood block and a light bulb. And when the light from the light bulb hits the flask full of water, it then refracts the light in all directions. So that eliminates shadows from the surface of the wood block. And this enables the artisan, the carver, to be able to see absolute fine lines. Because you're working so close to the piece of wood, you need to be able to see every aspect of the wood. So the aesthetic quality of the final woodcut print will really depend on the skill of the carver. So an experienced carver can accurately carve outlines of less than a millimeter in width. And this is used for things like strands of women's hair uh, in prints such as those of Utamaru. So you'll see a lot of these very fine lines in his work. And the number of blocks which are produced by the carver will depend on the number of colors in the design. So these colour blocks are known as Irahan. And in the case of Hokusai's Great Wave, four colour blocks are used back and front. So only one side of the key block is carved to ensure it doesn't warp during printing. But the colour blocks are carved on both sides. So using these eight layers of colour are applied. So we have four colour blocks, double-sided. So then you get eight colours. So during the Edo period, it was required to keep costs to a minimum to produce the Ukaiyoe prints as profitably as possible. So for that reason, the number of colours was very limited. 
and generally about five blocks were used. And this is why the prints have very distinct and recognizable limited color palettes. So for the for Hokusai's Great Wave, it took about three weeks to carve all the color blocks and the key block. So this meticulous and very delicate task is achieved by very accurate and precise use of the carver's chisel. So the level of skill required, can you imagine? It must have been truly remarkable. And this calls for a very good expression. The wood carvers had a bag of tricks to make sure what they did was to execute the image to the highest quality. So to have a bag of tricks means they had many techniques and many ways to make sure what they did was to execute the stamp and to carve the stamp out in the best way and the highest quality possible. So once the woodblock carvings are finished, the woodblocks are then passed on to another person onto the printers. So during the printing stage, the paint is applied to the woodblock with some brushes and the paper is placed on top of the block. And the paper is rubbed using a tool called a baron. And this completes the printing of one color. So they use the baron to rub the back of the paper backwards and forwards until the pigment and the color is onto the paper. So the finished ukaiyoe print is then produced by repeating this process for each color. So imagine the image that is my favorite, the Kurifuri waterfall, is completed with more than six different colors. So you probably have something like four or five woodblocks stamps. So at the exhibition, they showed a video of the printmaker printing each of the different colors. And he drops the print onto the woodblock. Would you believe in that exact point, in the exact right location, without the help of any guides? And it's just incredible. They have just amazing skills in the same way that the woodcarvers are very skilled. So I don't know if many people would be cut out for this type of work. So to be cut out for something literally means not, well, to be skillful enough to do it well. And you have to be really cut out to do this job because I imagine it takes quite a lot of patience. In the Japanese woodblock print era, you have many different artists. So many artists existed in this time period and perhaps the most well-known is Hokusai. So I've included a list of some of the artists in the transcript notes, but I want to focus on Hokusai in this episode. So you could do a search on some of these in Google Arts and Culture to find out more about the art that they produced. So under the wave of Kanagawa, also known as the Great Wave, has become one of the most famous works of art in the world. And in my opinion, one of the most iconic works of Japanese art. And I'm actually wearing a t-shirt with this very print on it while I record this podcast. And this wasn't planned, I just coincidentally was wearing this t-shirt today. Anyway, initially, thousands of copies of this print were quickly produced and sold cheaply. And the Great Wave was part of the 36 Views of Mount Fuji painting series, which was created, or print series, that was created by Hokusai. So all of the images in the series of the 36 Views 
feature a glimpse of the mountain, but as you can see in this example, Mount Fuji doesn't dominate the frame. So instead here you have a foreground, which is filled with a massive wave, and it looks like it's about to crash down onto three fishing boats below. And the Great Wave of Kanagawa is a really good example of how Hokusai used visual play. So the mountain is made really tiny by the use of perspective because it appears as though the mountain will too be swallowed by the wave. And also the spray from the top of the crashing wave looks like snow falling on the mountain. So Hokusai was very well known for using very evocative images and very evocative shapes in his in his prints. So Mount Fuji is the highest mountain in Japan and it has long been considered sacred. So Hokusai is often described as having a very personal fascination with the mountain, typically because he did the 36 views of Mount Fuji series. And this is what sparked his interest in making the series. However, a lot of critics say that he was also responding to a boom in domestic travel and the corresponding market for images of Mount Fuji. So Japanese wood, woodblock prints were often purchased at, as souvenirs at this time. So the original audience for Hokusai's prints were ordinary townspeople who were followers of the Fuji cult and made pilgrimages to climb the mountain or it was tourists visiting the new capital city. So for Hokusai's audience, the peak of the mountain would have been visible from across the city. Unfortunately, the skyscrapers in Tokyo now obscure the view of Mount Fuji, so it's impossible to see Mount Fuji. Now, Ukaiyue is also preserved as a modern art form, and today, there are only a few artisans who are capable of producing this amazing print form. And it raises the question of whether the superb technique of multicolored woodcut printmaking will be passed on to future generations, mostly because the way of doing it is very time consuming. But fortunately, the Adaki Institute of Woodcut Prints, based in Tokyo's Majero district, is engaged in the reproduction of ukaiyoe masterpieces by artists such as Katashuka Hokusai and Kitagawa Utomaro, as well as the creation of a lot of original works. And they aim to preserve the techniques and the traditions of this art form. So you can see a website for the Adaki Institute of Woodcut Prints in the show notes, and you can also buy some of the prints that they currently make. Now, it's also very well known that ukaiyoe influenced other art forms, other modern day art forms. So Impressionism, for example, which remains one of the most popular and prevalent forms of art today, was mostly original. However, many of the Impressionists found inspiration in other forms of art as well, mostly from Japanese woodblock prints. So artists like Claude Monet and Edgar Degas were very inspired by the subject matter, the perspective and the composition of Japanese woodblock prints. So Monet's iconic collection of Japanese bridges also clearly references the ukaiyoe scenes of everyday life. 
So in the transcript notes, I've put two images. I've put one of Hokusai's Undermannon Bridge at Fukagawa. And I've also put a picture of Monet's water lilies with the bridge. And you can see that Monet was very clearly influenced by subject matter and also the perspective. They're very similar perspectives, but obviously very different materials are used. The last thing that I wanted to talk about very briefly is about the women in the Edo period. So you might notice my list above of artists is all men. So what about the women? Well, during the time of the Edo period in Japan, women were greatly admired if they could paint. However, they were only allowed to do it behind closed doors. So for women, the painting was nothing more than a hobby. So the only way that a woman could advance her artistic skills was if she had an artistic family member. And this was the case for two known artists, two known female artists, amongst others, including Kiyohara Yukinobu, as her father was also a painter. And she was around from 1643 to 1682. And another artist who was also the daughter of an artist, Katsushika Oi, and she was the daughter of Hokusai. So it was only recently that I've learned who she was and learned that Hokusai had a daughter. So interestingly, I couldn't find any of her artworks on Google Arts and Culture, but I went directly to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in the United States and found an image of one of her artworks entitled Three Women Playing Musical Instruments. So it's an Edo period ink and silk drawing and it was created by her in 1850. So it currently lives in the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in the USA. Canadian novelist Catherine Gover wrote a first-person novel about Oi titled The Ghost Brush, which was also titled The Printmaker's Daughter. So the story of Oi was adapted to comics such as Miss Hokusai in 1983 to 87, and this had an animated movie which was adapted in 2015. So this tells the story of an outspoken daughter of a famed artist, Tetsuzo, for whom she sometimes paints uncredited. Uh, Google Arts and Culture are currently having an online exhibition of Yumara Shoen who was born after the Edo period, but she is well known for changing the mentality of how women were valued as artists in Japan. So she studied under the artist Suzuki Shoen during a time when female studying art was almost unheard of. So she pursued female figure painting, even though this was not permitted by the school until many years later. So she admired many of the Yukaiue Japanese woodblock prints and she often painted the same subjects. Most notably, she painted female figures known as Beijinga and she chose to celebrate very ordinary women, which is what you can see in the picture of the three women playing musical instruments. Anyway, this is just a very small snippet of an art movement that I'm very passionate about so if you want to find out more, you can explore some of the resources and the references that 
I listed in today's episode. So go and have a look there. Now the next podcast episode I'm going to do is going to be a lesson, an English lesson about a TED talk that I watch called A Project of Peace Painted Across 50 Buildings. So it's about obviously about painting some buildings. So you'll find out more about this TED talk in the next episode. So in the meantime, I hope you're keeping well. I hope you're staying safe, keeping yourself occupied, and you'll hear from me again soon. Catch you later. Bye.